morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Wednesday, June the 16th, and the next hour we study the inspired and true Word of God, and the Holy Spirit helps us put on our Christ goggles in 2 Kings chapter 11. We just finished a very intense study of chapter 10, where Jehu followed the orders of the Lord, and it brought an end to most of Ahab's family. And yesterday, Pastor Nice did a great job of pointing us to the wrath of our Lord and how it also gives us the reality and the humble reality that our Lord Jesus took the wrath upon himself for you. Today, we look at the kings of Judah. And how do they do? Faithful or holding on to idols? We'll find out, and we'll find out in the holy words of our Lord. And the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support. To learn more about this great work of teaching the faith around the world, visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word, we welcome Pastor Matthew Tuman of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Wapaton, North Dakota. Pastor Tuman, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Uh, thank you. It's good to be here. Pastor Tuman, you've been on, on Thy Strong Word uh, before, but this is our first time together, and we have new listeners every single day. And so can you tell us about yourself and the work of the saints at Emmanuel Lutheran? Um, well, I'm pastor here at Emmanuel Lutheran Church. Uh, we have uh, Word and Sacrament Ministry. Uh, thankful to the Lord uh, uh, for His gifts uh, here in this place. Um, uh, we have a preschool um, and uh, enjoy... Uh, having those kids in our building, uh, we're actually going to be restarting that preschool uh, this uh, fall. We suspended for a year um, and uh, just enjoy uh, being a part of this community. So tell us a little bit about Wapaton. I mean, think about North Dakota. Most people don't know much about North Dakota. I know North Dakota because I know Wapaton is actually a suburb of uh, Breckenridge. Isn't that right? Breckenridge, Minnesota. Aren't you a suburb? Uh uh, uh, I don't know if we can call it a suburb. So, Wapaton is a little bit bigger than Breckenridge. Uh, so, but we yeah, combined the two communities together. We're uh, we're separated by a political line and a river, uh, and combined uh, we're about ten thousand people. So very good. Yeah. So, if someone were to ask you. What's distinctive about North Dakota? What would you tell them? Most people don't know about North Dakota, so I, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, well, uh, it's cold in the winter, and uh, <laughs> so we do uh, we do like ice fishing. Ice fishing is a good uh, activity to do in the winter time, and uh, something very prominent in our culture in the area. Um, uh, it's agricultural. Um, Wapaton itself has a lot of manufacturing uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, economic opportunity. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's just a good place to live. Uh, it's a, it's a small community, family community. Uh, glad to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. One of the great joys of being on this Bible study is that yesterday we had. Um, 
uh, we have Pastor Nice, who's from Minnesota, but then we also have other pastors from around the country. Uh, from San Diego, we have a Pastor Hiller, and uh, with others, uh, we'll have other people from the East Coast, from Texas, and, and every place you can imagine. And every place says the same thing. Word and Sacrament Ministry, bringing the gifts of God to people and sinners who need it, which ironically is absolutely everywhere. So, Pastor, we are looking at 2 Kings chapter 11 and uh, and to really kind of recover a little bit from chapters 9 and 10, I think it's good for us to start in prayer. Can you begin us in prayer? Sure. We pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. Uh, we give you thanks for your word. Uh, we know it is that by your word we have received the forgiveness of sins, uh, which you have won for us on the cross. We are thankful for that, that gift. Lord, it is for our salvation. It is for life everlasting. Lord, uh, we give thanks for this time. Uh, we ask you, Lord, to help us to think clearly about your word as it comes to us uh, in Second Kings chapter 11. Um, we are thankful for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions about our text today, you can email us, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Or you can call in. This is a live program, 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. And as we look at this text, there could be many questions um, that come up because it's all done in a context is that we, we realize that the scriptures are the truth. They, um, they, there's a context, there's a culture, but ultimately it all points us to Jesus. So Pastor Tuman, to dig into 2 Kings is quite challenging, and we have a context of where we are. So Pastor, what kind of, um, what kind of, what leads us up to chapter 11 that might help us start off our study on the right foot today? Um, well, I think um, I wanted to kind of uh, draw attention to uh, one, uh, two uh, passages. One is in chapter 8, and the other one is in actually chapter 11. I think it helps us to keep perspective, maybe even on the entire uh, 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 two books, First and Second Kings. Hmm. Um, but Second uh, Kings eight nineteen. 19, uh, Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, uh, since he promised to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. And uh, this is a, sim simply a reference uh, to the promised Messiah, uh, who is Jesus, who would die on a cross to pay the price for sins. Uh, thy mm -hmm. word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, and that word is Jesus Christ our Lord. And uh, we see uh, the preservation of the line of David uh, for the purpose of bringing salvation to the world. And I think we see that very distinctly here uh, in Second uh, Kings chapter 11. Then also... Go ahead. I was going to say, that's a really good point. That's a part that really, if you just read through that, you wouldn't notice it. And there are other times where it does say that he will keep the line of Judah because of some faithful things that they did. But this one's a very direct uh, quote towards uh, Jesus, the sake of David, his servant. And he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. He doesn't say, well, just as long as you do this and this and this. No, it's forever that he says. Great insight for our listeners. Once again, that was 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 19. Continue on, sorry. Correct. No, no problem. Thank you. And yeah, uh, then yeah. 2 Kings 11, uh, 12 uh, which we will read again, I'm sure, uh, later on. It says, Then he brought mm -hmm. out the king's son 
and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands uh, and said, long live the king. And I think the the prominent part here uh, is that they gave him the testimony, um, that the connection between the king and the word of God is something that is always going to be uh, prominent uh, uh, for the Israel, uh, the children of God. Um, and we see uh, the king, uh, the kings of Israel prior to Jesus, they definitely are, uh, they carry uh, up. This is probably talking about uh, Torah, maybe some of the other writings that were uh, written prior to this. Um, but certainly uh, Jesus himself, who's called the Word of God and who is mm-hmm. the king, um, uh, uh, definitely uh, holds uh, that testimony and the full testimony of all of God's word. That is a great, that's another great insight as we look at this. I was going to ask you what the testimony is, but it's a perfect connection of of the word and the word made flesh. As we talk about all the time, this points us to Jesus. And it, it's hard not to um, uh, look at this and see Christ. And part of it is if we don't see Christ, it's just like a it's like a terrorist book. I mean, we had right. cases in chapter 10, which is quite difficult. Any any reflections on the previous chapters, 9 and 10? Pretty intense. I almost feel like I have to recover a little bit from it. But any any last reflections before we dig in on those chapters? Um, just uh, uh, so Jehu and, uh, and uh, his... Um his action of, of basically assassinating the kings of both kingdoms uh, mm-hmm. is pretty dramatic. Um, and uh, it does set the stage for, uh, for what we have coming uh, for further violence uh, that uh, will occur in Chapter 11. Very good. All right. Well, I think, I think we're ready to dig in. Are you ready, Pastor? I hope so. So. <laughs> here we go. Ready or not, here it is. Forward. <laughs> it's so. right. So let's open up our Bibles and reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Scriptures, and it is Second Kings chapter 11, and we will read the first three verses. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Je- Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death, and she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah, so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land." Now, there's, there's a lot of names. There's a lot of family connections. It kind of reminds me of if you go to a family reunion and you have every side of every side you can imagine from, from us, southern Minnesota, gathering, and you're like, okay, how are we all related again? So there's a lot of different things to break down here. Where do you want to start? Um, so uh, so uh, the the. I did notice that the name uh, Ahaziah comes up a couple times. There's an Ahaziah at the start of 2 Kings and the 1 Kings, uh, mm-hmm. who is king in Israel, and uh, this Ahaziah is king in, in, uh, in Judah. 
So mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, the, the sorting out of the names is very it's uh, very difficult. And then there's also <laughs> some instances where uh, there are shortened names and longer names, and you kind of have to pay attention right. to how that happens too. And that does happen in uh, uh, in this chapter as well. Um, so. Um, Asaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, uh, uh, she uh, was the granddaughter of Omri, uh, who was king of Israel, and uh, and it is reported that she walks according to uh, uh, in the way of Ahab because they're all connected uh, through Ahab. Mm-hmm. And so. as we look at this, you have Athaliah. Um, she, the, the, Ahaziah is dead. Okay. And then her first action is to destroy the royal family. This seems yeah. kind of odd. Any, th- any thoughts on how she, how her first line of action of trying to rule the war, rule Judah is this? Any, any reflections on her leadership and why she would do such a thing? Well, I think it follows Ahab. And I, there's kind of this value, uh, the uh, value of life in this family line. Uh, seems quite uh, uh, bereft. There isn't a value on life. Um, they look at power uh, in the kingdom uh, and do not think of that in terms of uh, their family. They, they think of that in terms of wealth and uh, the might of uh, an army, uh, the ability to influence. Uh, they don't see their family as an important, obviously, as an important thing. You know, it happens very quickly in these in these verses. If you might, you know, you go over it. And she kills her grandkids. I mean, this is mm-hmm. uh, uh, this is abhorrent. Uh, it's an abhor- abhorrent act. But it's her their, her uh, family perspective on on life. She doesn't see, uh, for instance, uh, uh, Psalm one twenty seven. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Uh, that's not something that uh, she looks at as as a value. And that's just a, a good reminder for us of the, the problem of trying to gain power. I mean, it can start in simple ways, um, small ways, and obviously manifest all the way to something like this, where your desire for power, and we see this in the kings, we see this even in Jesus's time with King Herod, and finds out that there might be a savior or a, a, the Messiah might be in Bethlehem. So what does he do? He just kills all the boys because he doesn't want to lose power. Um, and it, it shows us that destructive nature, obviously in the Bible, but also destructive nature for our world, that the thirst for power is so strong that we will even lose insight of, like you just said, the heritage of our children. Right. And as we look at from there, so she wants to destroy the whole royal family, but there is still one left. It's, it's kind of interesting. Um, if I'm right, tell me, tell me this, Pastor. I, you know, I really appreciate your insight on Ahaziah not being the king of Israel. This is the king of Judah. Um, he is gone. Jehu has destroyed them because I'm ha- trying to keep this all in perspective. Um, but right now is the only lineage from Ahab, uh, the son, Joash, is the only, only one left as far as the boys? Because they killed the 70 sons. They've, they've killed off all of these. Is he the only one left? Or, or I, does this make any sense? I'm trying to break this down. Yeah, I think that's he's the, he's the last one. Uh, okay. uh, you know, uh, he's the only one left. So everyone else, <laughs> been, everyone else has been murdered. 
All right. So so that's exactly why Jehoshaphat, um, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash and then hid him away for six years. So this is her kingdom. Um, the king is dead. Long live the queen, I guess you would say in this scenario. Right. Um, and and so they try to keep that lineage. And Jehoshaphat, did you find anything about her? Even her, it's kind of a weird family lineage. You can't quite figure out how she's all connected. Any thoughts on Jehoshaphat? I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. I got some hint that uh, that she was married to the uh, the priest Jeho- right. Jehoiada. Um, yeah. Uh, but other than that, I, I don't really, I don't really know her uh, very well. Obviously, um, she's a, a savior type of figure in this to right. keep the she lineage does, going. Yeah. She does seem to live. Uh, 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 she does seem to live kind of in in the holy place. So mm-hmm. it uh, and uh, she that's where she actually hides. Uh, uh, Joash with uh, with her and uh, with Jehoiada, who's the priest. You know that's that's interesting too. Is the priestly quarters would probably be the appropriate place that they were staying, which makes sense as far as um, uh, that he would be safe there. Uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of Moses when they kind of hid him away, but that was for a couple months. This is six years of them hiding them. So it, it puts it in perspective because these verses are so short, but this is a long time period. We thought COVID was long. Um, this right. would have been six years of hiding him. Um, she literally wants to destroy anybody who has any family lineage of it. Um, and so right now would have been a very, uh, would have been a very trying time, even though it's only three verses long. So that's a good right. perspective for us to remember as well. And, 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 since, go ahead. and since we do, um, we do want to connect uh, uh, Joash, who's in the line of kings, uh, uh, with, uh, with who Jesus is, and also with who Jesus is in our lives. Uh, this priest mm-hmm. and his wife, they're doing, they're doing a job that is important. They are uh, kind of being stewards uh, of uh, of the line, they're being stewards essentially then of the Word of God, uh, the one who would carry the testimony. Um, they are they are taking care um, uh, of uh, of uh, of the Word of God essentially. Right, right, and it's, it's such a short uh, version, like you said. So right now, we have Athaliah. Um, she, I guess you would say, is reigning in Judah. It doesn't call her a queen, but I guess she's she's. Well, I don't know. I don't know how you define that, but she's reigning in Judah. Um, she does it for six years, clearly, mainly because my perception is uh, because Joash is too young. I mean, you can't take a one-year-old and make him king. I don't think, at least. Yeah, and, well, you really and, can't take a six-year-old or seven-year-old either. I don't think either. so. You know, that's what makes it even crazier. You know, Jesus was twelve and he went to the temple. You know, but but anyways, uh, so you have the main figures. Athaliah, um, and then you have Jehoshaphat, and then you don't have it quite yet, but Jehoiada, which we're going to hear of soon, and then you have Joash, and they're hiding for six years. Any other thoughts on the first three verses? Um, I don't think so. Okay, all right. So let's continue on, and now it gets really interesting, is verses 4 through 8. 4 through 8. But in the seventh year... Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karaites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord Yahweh. And he made a covenant with them 
and put them under the oath in the house of the Lord Yahweh. And he showed them the king's son, and he commanded them, This is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, those who come off duty of the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being in the gate sewer, and the third gate behind the guards shall guard the palace. And the two divisions of you, which come on duty in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord Yahweh on behalf of the king, shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand, and whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. So, first of all, I wanted to ask you this before we get to the context. Jehoiada, what did you find out about him? Um, again, not a lot, just that he's yeah. a priest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, and obviously has a role then within the context of, uh, of Israel, that he has a responsibility uh, within Israel to take care of spiritual matters, in particular uh, within the context of uh, the temple, and uh, um, also to uh, follow through with his duties with regard to uh, uh, the king and uh, being a spiritual advisor in that way as well. Right. And, and it's something, like you said, we might, we think that there is a relationship with him and Jeho- um, probably Mary, doing godly things, obviously by protecting the lineage of Judah. But also these four, these verses, four through eight, are kind of, I think it's riddled with more questions. I found myself looking up more, and the more I read, the more questions I received. How would you break down these verses and explain them? Um, so this is a this is a plan uh, that uh, uh, is kind of uh, being put into place uh, in order to bring uh, the the young uh, Joash seven now seven years old uh, to the throne, and uh, it centers around the guards that are in the temple and the uh, there's these guys these guys named the Karites or Karites, and uh, I tried to figure out who they were. Uh, there was some consensus that they were from Karaya, which is in the southwest corner of current-day Turkey or Asia Minor, and uh, maybe some connection with the Philistines. But they were mercenaries, and uh, kind of indicates that there's uh, a little bit of a struggle uh, finding uh, soldiers uh, in the land that they have to buy uh, soldiers. But they're hmm. they're going to mm-hmm. use both the guards of the temple and the Karaites uh, in order to. Uh, provide protection for Joash, and as well uh, to kind of divert Eith Aliyah and her attention. So it's just a, so he, it's kind of, it's kind of a plan to get him to the throne. Right, right, and it it, it just kind of. It just kind of arrives, you know. There's other parts of First Kings, Second Kings, uh, where it just kind of says, "Oh, we had this conversation, this conversation." This one just kind of comes, and here's the plan. We have no idea how the plan came, and like you said, it's riddled with other questions, such as who are the Karaites? Um, right. There's other times that we see it where, like, when they built the temple, they had to hire the Phoenicians because they needed wood and they needed all these things, and so you see a definite relationship of other parts of the world in order to do the things of God. 
Um, and that's just a, a good reminder of how sometimes we might think that everything just kind of happened around Jerusalem and then nothing really, there's no relationship with anybody else until, well, you know, Paul goes on his missionary journeys. No, this was a, a very intricate um, way of power, of, of a kingdom, trying to work for the good, and God works through it all for the good of his kingdom and for the sake of the Messiah to come. So what, how would you describe the plan? They made a plan. Um, it's kind of a confusing plan, I think. <laughs> so what, what was the plan? Um, you're right. It is it is uh, kind of confusing. Obviously, they're they're talking about some of the guards and the Karaites. Some of them are on duty. Sometimes they're not on duty. Uh, essentially, they're bringing everyone uh, all hands on deck. It seems like uh, to surround uh, Joash uh, and protect him. That anyone who comes or approaches uh, approaches him uh, would be actually killed. Uh, I think is the uh, uh, and whoever approaches the ranks to be put to death. Um, so it, it's just, uh, yeah, it's a matter of uh, how is he going to move and how is he going to move safely. Right. And and to put even more context on it is you can look, and this is an example where you can look in Second Chronicles chapter 23, where there um, we can't always... Um, we can't always make a one-to-one because there's just some things that are different in Chronicles. Um, but it definitely unpacks it even a little more. It talks more about the Levites. It talks about uh, pretty much the same story, uh, but it's a little bit different perspective. So I encourage our listeners, as you look at our text today, is to then um, look at Second Chronicles to get even a fuller picture of what is said. Because like I said, there's a lot of questions and then, when it talks about here, it talks about uh, the Karaites. It kind of talks about other people. In Second Chronicles, it talks about the Levites coming from all around and talking about a day off, um, which kind of leads us to some questions about uh, what, what does it mean to be off duty on the Sabbath? You know, I thought these were Levites and, and guard the king's house. Basically, it's a plan just to protect in order for the sake of Joash to become king. So, right. um any other any other thoughts on those verses? So, um, so one of the things I kind of began thinking about a little bit was uh, when uh, Jesus was betrayed. Um, so, uh, uh, so this is um, Matthew uh, twenty six. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, "Have you come out against a robber with swords?" and clubs to capture me. Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures uh, and the prophets uh, might be fulfilled. Um, and he talks about uh, the fact that he would be able to call uh, uh, on the Father, and the Father would get, send the angels, uh, guards, to guard him, um, but that he had a different purpose. He had a different reason. I, I, when I look mm-hmm. at Joash, uh, um, He's got these protect. He's got these protections. So it's like uh, Joash is like uh, and in the line of Christ, uh, but there are distinctions and differences. Uh, Joash is not killed. Jesus goes all the way to death. Uh, Joash is protected. Uh, Jesus um, does uh, does not accept uh, the protection that he could receive. Uh, so uh, I just kind of thought about uh, and connected with what Jesus was talking about the soldiers who could protect him, but who would not, or who he did not call upon. 
So uh, do you yeah. think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Um, but then how should scripture be fulfilled? So. Ah, see, that's all oh, very good. So speaking of Joash as a type of Christ and obviously seeing Christ on every page of Holy Scripture. So, but right now we need to take our break. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 11 with Pastor Matthew Tuman, and we'll be right back. Wednesday, June 16th, 2021, KFUO Radio celebrates with our day sponsor, Warren Flance of Arnold, Missouri. Warren made a gift to KFUO Radio in honor of Joshua and Amanda Stegman. Warren is thankful to the Lord for the blessing that he has given to Joshua and Amanda for 20 years of marriage and two adopted children. Thank you, Warren Flance, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsor. An old man blind to his own bitterness. I will never forgive her. A young girl blind to her own identity. There are people who want to hurt me. Together, they find a treasure, the hidden hand. I will take the girl. Get rid of Capitola once and for all. Starring Katie Lee as Capitola. (laughs) Discover the hidden hand on the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. When communism fell in the former Soviet Union, it was an exciting time to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who had long been denied the faith. This is Reverend Robert Ron, founder of the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. It's been 25 years since LHF began translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith for the people of Russia. With your help, LHF continues our work of introducing new believers to the Savior in nearly 90 countries. Visit lhfmissions.org to learn more. And welcome back. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 11 with Pastor Matthew Tuman of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Wapaton, North Dakota. And we have gone through the first eight verses, and it really has just been breaking down the context, knowing the names, in some ways trying to figure out the family lineages and sometimes being more confused. But right now we know there's a plan. The plan is to protect Joash. Um, And why? Because he's of the lineage of Judah. Um, The Lord protects uh, this lineage, the lineage of David, in order, obviously, as we know, as we look at all of Scripture, uh, to save the lineage all the way to our Lord Jesus. And so uh, it's pretty pretty severe. Like, if anyone comes, uh, kill him. That's the plan. So any last thoughts on the first eight verses, Pastor Tuman? No. Okay, let's keep going then. 9 through 12. We'll read 9 through 12. The captains did according to all that Jehoiada, the priest, commanded. And they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada, the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. And the guard stood, every man with his weapons in his hand. 
and from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house on behalf of the king. Then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, long live the king. Now, before we get to that last verse, which you've already highlighted in our text, any thoughts on how much they're doing in order to protect uh, the, the, the son and how much they're even using King David's old spears and, and shields from the house of the Lord? Any thoughts on that? What do you, th- what do you think they thought was, was possibly coming or they, maybe they knew was coming? Well, I think they knew what was coming. I mean, uh, uh, to to use David's uh, shield and weapons uh, was definitely an indication that uh, they were they were going to crown him king um, uh, in the line of David. And that's yeah, oh, good point. Yeah, so they they definitely were preparing that that this is not only we want to protect this kid who's in the lineage. This is going back to David and they value David. So yeah. Okay. You know what? I didn't catch that thought there, but they also knew that, uh, uh, Atha, she uh, had some power. And if we're not prepared, um, she's going to come and, and, and take us on too. I guess I was thinking about that too. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. That was part of the plan was they needed to box her out and they needed to keep her from, <laughs> uh, from knowing what was going on. Um, and and from being able to react before the actual uh, coronation, essentially. Very good. So verse 12, it said they brought the king's son and put the crown on him. Now, it doesn't say this explicitly, but we would say this is Joash, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, and uh, uh, he would be the son of uh, uh, Joram. Is that would that be correct? Um, let's see here. Hold on a second. The took Joash, the son of Ahaziah. The son of Ahaziah, right? Um, yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. You're correct. Yeah. And so, so he comes out, and and he, they brought him up, put the crown on him, gave him the testimony. Explain that again to us. What do you perceive to be the testimony? Because we could that could be used in many different terms. What what's the uh, uh, what is the testimony? So uh, my um, my thoughts uh, are that uh, that is re- a reference to the Word of God uh, that they have received to the Torah, essentially, um, first five books of uh, of the Bible. Um, Which is keep going. So go ahead. I was just going to say that it's hard for us to perceive because when we think of long live the king, we might think of England. Um, we might, you know, somehow think about our president or our governor and those kind of things. And if we're going to, we still have a little bit where they, maybe they put their hand on a Bible when they get coronated, but more or less, we don't really perceive them to say, okay, in order for you to do this job well, we're going to give you the scriptures. You know, um, that's not really part of how we think of it. Uh, we don't live in that kind of culture, but what was the significance of giving him the Torah of the law. Any any thoughts on that? Well, so the king uh, uh, the king of Israel would be someone whose word is law, um, and that what he would say would be what would be carried out in the land. Um, but what he does is when he receives the testimony of, of God's word, uh, he has some he has a law that is greater than himself that he has to re- refer to, and that he that his voice must. 
comport with. There must be connection with what uh, the God's Word is and what He says. And if there isn't, He's not doing His job as King of Israel uh, under Yahweh, under God. And this is why when you read, uh, you'll hear of the kings. And like, for example, Ahab, we kind of keep going back to Ahab, but it says that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It it, it doesn't say um, he didn't keep peace among all his constituents. (laughs) It doesn't say that. That's not the goal of Right, right, right. right. And that's that's very important for us to not try to make a one-to-one with that. And then they said, long live the king. Now, what's interesting about this is at the same time, um, he, you know, we have somebody else who's think, who thinks they're ruling right now. So they're kind of setting it up to try to say, see, this is the king. Here it is. And then I, I just try to envision our own our own lives that if all of a sudden someone said, well, I'm president now. And how would the current president or any previous presidents react to this? So it is quite an interesting context of them telling the truth. Because clearly he is supposed to be king, and she just kind of took over. Um, but it's also going to cause some problems. Any thoughts on on that dynamic? Well, there's there's obviously uh, so. I mean, someone who's in power wields power. They wield mm-hmm. the sword, and uh, evidently Athalia uh, does not wield that very well. Uh, she doesn't seem to have the allegiance of the soldiers either the mercenaries or the soldiers uh, that belong uh, to Judah. Um, so, yeah, because uh, if, if you are president, you have, you have the keys to the, uh, the army, the Air Force, the Navy, and you can do what you would like. But she didn't have that, evidently. Evidently not. Yeah. Yeah. She she had her own kingdom that she wasn't quite sure how to how to rule that by any means. Now, I want to take one step back, Pastor, is because one of the biggest struggles that happens in Second Kings and First Kings is the desire for power. And this is also true for us in our culture today, even in the church, is that our desire for power can lead us away from many, uh, many holy things or the ways our Lord wants us to live our lives. Can you kind of talk a little bit about how, yes, this was a temptation for Athalia, um, but also can be a temptation for us. Any reflections on how that can easily go into each one of us? So, yeah, well, this is the basic, this is basic sin, um, so if you go all the, I mean, you could go all the way back to, to Adam and Eve and the serpent, what does the serpent say to Eve? How does, how does the serpent, how does Satan deceive Eve? He says to her, you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, and you can be like God. And, uh, that is a heady thing. And, uh, I think in many respects, we want to have in our own lives, uh, to be like God, to be in charge, to be in control of things. Um, in the context of the church, that can that can rear its ugly head as well in terms of uh, how maybe we manipulate people in the church and uh, try to get people to do the things we want to, them to do, but do it outside of regular means, regular uh, regular operations, uh, the way we've agreed to work with each other. Um, uh, we we sometimes step out of those those patterns. And uh, it is a way of trying to be in charge of things that we're not necessarily in charge of. And that's, and that's helpful for us to understand is that the church, 
like your local parish, Emmanuel or Messiah, where I'm at too, is it's so tempting for us to just assume that, uh, no, I don't, I don't want power at all. Like I, I'm doing this for the sake of the gospel. We can quote passages and we can do this. And, and Athaliah could as easily said, why well, I, I, no one else is here to step up. So I'm going to do this and I'm doing it and I'm doing it correctly. And I'm doing it in the name of the Lord. And, and all you could justify a whole bunch of things when really it was just about her wanting power. And that's a temptation for each and every one of us, which leads us to daily repentance and receiving the forgiveness from our Lord Jesus. So long live the king. Long live the king. Here it is. I mean, even the words are kind of, oh, that'd be kind of nice to have those words said about, right, right? Long live the pastor, right? Is that is that a good, maybe not a good line. Anyways, um, uh, Pastor, any last thoughts before I move on to these verses? Well, if, you, if we're going to go along these lines, the uh, the truth of the matter is, and I was talking with another pastor today about this reality, and in the same way that the king is under uh, is under the testimony, is under the word of God, uh, pastors also are under the word of God, that uh, we are not given to speak anything differently than what we have received, and uh, we don't, we don't, uh, uh, we don't pull uh, the message that we have off the top of our head. Uh, it, comes, uh, it comes from Jesus, and the revelation of Jesus for us is in the Scripture, which we have received, both the Old and the New Testament. Um, so we are bound uh, to speak what we have received and what we have received alone. That's a great insight, because, and that's a good reminder for us. You know, I'm reminded of uh, Martin Luther's sacristy prayer, that basically says, I do not deserve it all. And this is a good thing for you, our listeners, to uh, to read. Look up Luther's sacristy prayer, a prayer that I try to say often. I know many pastors do, um, where it kind of basically says, I do not deserve to be in this office, but yet you have called me um, to be in your word. And I, I can't quote it word for word, but it definitely points us exactly what you said, is that when we stand, our authority is not our own, but the word of the Lord. So we go under that. So let's keep moving. Uh, moving along, 13, and we'll go through verse 16. When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she went into the house of the Lord Yahweh to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar, according to the custom, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason, treason! Then Jehoiada, the priest, commanded the captains who were set over the army, bring her out between the ranks and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house, and there she was put to death. So kind of like as mysteriously as she came is the same way that she left. It was kind of there and then she was gone. But right now she comes out. I just try to imagine her feelings at this point. She thinks she has complete control. The royal family destroyed. She's been reigning for what seems to be six years of good peace. Um, people seem to like her. I mean, I'm, I'm purely conjecture right now. But right. she's having all this. All of a sudden she hears a noise and she sees all this pomp and circumstance. And what's her reaction? Treason, treason. Uh, she looks at this and uh, says, uh, "I'm. This is an affront to uh, uh, to the kingdom, uh, to herself." Uh, and uh, she tears her her clothes and 
in in uh, in the way of the culture, and she cries out treason, treason. And Jehoiada, who's been, um, and this is all happening in in the temple, correct? Am I reading that correctly? This is all happening so. in the temple. Mm-hmm. She comes in, says treason, treason, right after they've done this in the name of the Lord, and then Jehoiada kind of pulls rank, and he says, nope. Um, you're out, and whoever follows you is out as well. I tried to envision what this would have looked like, because now, seemingly, she was in um, uh, peaceful times, and now they've built up the army, they've taken her, and they threw her out. This is kind of a, a hard... Uh, most of Second Kings, not most of it, but a lot of it, is hard to kind of explain. Let's say you read this pastor at your church, you're in Bible study, you're going to preach on this. Who knows why you're preaching on this? It's not in the lectionary, but you're preaching on this somehow. Right. How would you describe this to somebody who says something along the lines of, well, that's kind of extreme, isn't it? This is a little bit harsh. What is God doing here? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I would describe this in, in in much the same way. People will will come and talk about you know the that God told uh, you know uh, when Israel goes into certain places they're to destroy the whole city, right? All the yep. And uh, uh, it is a demonstration uh, essentially of God's wrath toward evil, and that it is His purpose and it is His desire uh, to destroy evil completely. And uh, in this instance, uh, Athaliah is definitely, uh, uh, she is evil. Uh, she is the epitome of evil. She's killed her kids and grandkids. Uh, she's usurped power that doesn't belong to her. Uh, and uh, she's done it in the name uh, of, of, uh, uh, of the throne, uh, which is under God. And uh, she's kind of standing where she doesn't belong. And uh, that is what evil, evil does. And uh, so God is displeased with evil, needs and must destroy uh, evil and put good in its place. And that's, you know, and this is a theme that we continually see through Second Kings, is because you will have those moments where clearly there is evil, and then it just seemingly gets destroyed. And if we don't look at this with the understanding of the cross, uh, that, for example, if you have that understanding that God is love, that if you don't see God is love with, if you don't see that with the cross in line, so you you see the, the the death and suffering and resurrection of Jesus as part of that love, then God is just simply a terrorist. He's just going around and said, "Well, you didn't do it right, therefore you're gone. Um, you you didn't follow my ways completely, therefore you're gone." And that's if we don't look at this through the lens of knowing that this will point us to a greater blood that will be shed, which is the Lord himself who would atone for the sins of the world, um, that there needs to be blood that is shed whenever there is evil. Um, If we don't see the cross in this, that's all God is, is a terrorist. Well, and and, that's why we need the cross. uh, uh, Is Jesus described as having become sin for us and, Mm. uh, uh, the it, it, you might say he becomes the epitome of evil, and uh, and he is destroyed uh, on the cross. He, his blood is shed on the cross, but he, that happens because he takes it upon himself. He takes upon himself 
our evil, um, and uh, uh, he becomes sin for us. Absolutely. And that's, and that's just a, a good reminder of, of our gratefulness, should be our gratefulness. So what we're reading here um, is something that we are able to look at with the cross um, really uh, in front of these stories, is that we're able to see what our Lord has done and then to see, uh, I guess, you would not, not necessarily what would be without the cross, because that's just not reality, but to see how much he loves us, that he takes the same wrath upon himself. I want to tell this short story before we move on, Pastor, and I'd be intrigued to see if you have anything like it. Is there was a gal I visited once, and she had cancer, and she had some extra time, and she was going through treatment, and she was reading Leviticus, and she was reading the um, Old Testament, and she was reading all these rules and reading all this death in the Old Testament, and I thought she was going to like just tell me that, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this, but she stopped. And when I went to visit her, and she talked about all this she was reading, and then she said, it makes her realize how much our Lord Jesus um, went through on the cross for me. Which I thought was such a—I mean, she obviously was well catechized. But do you have any uh, any stories like that, or anything that helps us out as we read these stories um, that well, you've experienced in ministry? So that conversation comes up again and again. And uh, one of the things I think we can always think about is, you know, we think about Jesus dying on a cross, and we think about the physical suffering and pain. We might watch Passion of the Christ or something like that, and and we can kind of empathize with that. And there were people who actually, other than Jesus, who were crucified also. So, I mean, there are other human beings who experienced the dev- physical devastation of, of the crucifixion. But there's one thing that we will not experience um, that I think is also represented here, and that is when Jesus uh, calls out from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Um, mm-hmm. we, will, we will never know that because Jesus did that for us. Um, uh, the father turned his back on Jesus, and Jesus knew that, uh, and it was on account of the fact that he became sin for us. I heard one pastor say, "He said it, so we don't have to." Yeah, I thought that was he a, that experienced was a, it, yeah. so we don't have to. Right? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Even better. Yeah, he experienced mm-hmm. it. So, pastor, we have about six minutes left. So let's finish out these last few verses and wrap things up. Verse seventeen through twenty, actually twenty-one, twenty-one a. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, Yahweh, and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images they broke in pieces, and they killed Maton, the priests of Baal, before the altars. And the priests posted watchmen over the house of the Lord, Yahweh. And he took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land and brought and brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate and the guards of the king's house. And he took his seat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. And I'll just read this first part. And Jehoash Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. Now, let's start here. He's seven years old, and he becomes king. How does that work? Any any thoughts as you read this? The only thing I can think of is Jehoiada and and his wife and and the the uh, the lady. Uh, yeah, Jehoshaphat. Pres- yeah, I presume <laughs> that uh, she's his wife, but it is a presumption. Um, That's right. We're very much involved in uh, in helping him to uh, run the kingdom until he became. Um, 
uh, more able as he matured, as, as he became more mature. So that's the only thing I could think of that uh, they were they were simply engaged with the process. But that's that's also conje- conjecture. But yeah, what I think yeah, it's. Is <laughs> I think of my own son who's twelve, you know, and then I think of my myself at seven years old. I mean, I was just trying to learn how to play baseball at seven years old, let alone trying to rule a whole kingdom. But once again. Um, this is God's word and it's true. And how does that work? Well, we leave that in God's hands. But clearly Jehoiada has a very strong influence on this, as you should as priest, maybe high priest. We're not exactly sure. But he basically takes all the all that's in the house of Baal, the prophets, the leaders. It feels like the same old story. This goes back to Elijah and the Baal prophets. And it just seems like the idols keep coming back and they have to keep breaking them. Any thoughts on how that relates to us today? Uh, well, how often do we go back to our own sin, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we need uh, repentance and forgiveness? Uh, otherwise, we are lost. So, and I think uh, all of us can empathize with that in, in terms of coming back to our own idolatry. So, right. Oh, absolutely. And you look at it, and you <laughs> and you're kind of kind of shocked at at them for what they're doing. But at the same time, if we really look at our own sins, like you said so well, we realize why do I then go back to that sin, gossip or or other other such things, uh, coveting, why am I always coveting this or coveting that? Um, and and keep going back to it. And what do we do have to every day? Every day? We got to break, break it down. This is our morning and evening prayer that Luther gave to us and say, Lord, forgive me for where I have done wrong. And, and in the same same time in the morning, we say, Lord, uh, keep me from all evil, and then I may give you glory. So right. all of this leads us to the end, where basically it sounds like that everything is just going to be hunky-dory. Everything is just going to, they're going to ride off into the sunset of a peaceful and wonderful nation. Verse 20, so all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death and the sword in the king's house. So basically, he sits on the throne. Jehoiada has broken all the problems. All the bad people are gone, and now they're going to live in this wonderful kingdom. Um, Isn't that sound nice, Pastor? Well, it sounds really nice. (laughs) So, um, obviously, as you read the rest of the Bible, that's not how it works right now. So, (laughs) (laughs) It sounds wonderful, and it's a good reminder for us, and this goes into power. I know in the church is a tendency that will say, if we just were able to do this or that, then we would be, in essence, able to just ride off into the sunset. Everything would be perfect at our church or in our home. If we just did this, then everything would be solved. Yeah, Pastor, the, right, go ahead. There, the problem here is uh, Joash, though he is in the line of David, in the line of the kings, is imperfect. And, uh, and his authority and the exercise of his authority is imperfect and his ability uh, to delineate evil and score evil out of life is uh, incomplete. Um, The one who is complete, who can do this properly and rightly, who can take the evil away and completely destroy it and bring the kind of peace that we want and that we look for in its entirety, is Jesus. He's the only one uh, who has the perspective, divine perspective 
in order to to rip out evil uh, in its and do so in a complete and proper and uh, and good way. And he does that when he dies on the cross, pays the price for sins. Uh, he does that as he comes to uh, uh, people, and, and and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, that word of God is given by which we receive the forgiveness of sins. Um, uh, it is how Satan is ultimately uh, defeated uh, completely. Mm-hmm. He does it, and we, we do not have the ability uh, to do it the way Jesus does. So um, if, you read the, if you read the book of Revelation, the last 20, 21, and 22, you see resolution. Um, there's great evil, there's great turmoil, and yet when uh, Jesus brings victory, there is a resolution where God comes and dwells with his people and his people uh, with him. And uh, it, it, is a, it is a place of, of peace. We have that peace now in Christ. We have the peace that passes understanding um, because of the forgiveness of sins, the resolution that has been brought to our life because uh, Jesus has dealt with sin and evil for us, and he's dealt with our death. And it's a, a wonderful thing that we depend upon, and it will be more fully revealed to us in the time uh, that Jesus decides to bring us home with him. Pastor Matthew Tuman from Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Wapaton, North Dakota, giving us strength by God's word. Pastor Tuman, thank you for being our guest. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, as Pastor Tuman said so well, it is Christ who has had the victory. Not a seven-year-old, not Athalia, not Jehoshaphat, none of them. It is Christ. He is our hope, he is our strength, and he is our salvation. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and may he keep you safe in the palm of his hands.